Genius, it takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. It's been a rough week. Uh, a week ago today, my whole family came down with uh, the stomach flu. And my uh, wife got sick first. And then uh, I got sick and I was really having a hard time. About 4.30 in the morning, I was downstairs on the sofa. And uh, I hear a little pitter-patter on the stairs and my uh, three-and-a-half-year-old son came down. He wasn't looking so good. He came and uh, cuddled with me on the sofa and then threw up on me. So it's one of those nights uh, and I kind of wrecked my voice. I think you can probably hear it. That's the reason I'm telling you this lovely story. Uh, So I'm going to see the doctor today, see what's going on with my throat. It seems like no matter what happens, any kind of illness uh, I get, or I think singers in general, it always goes right to the throat. I mean, you could sprain your ankle and you lose your voice. So it's uh, one of the nice things about being a singer, I guess. Other than those things, I've had a great week. Uh, I went and saw La Grime, uh, the the Tears of St. Peter at the Los Angeles Master Chorale's uh, concert at Disney Hall, which was incredible. 21 singers in groups of three singing 21 pieces uh, by memory staged by Peter Sellers and uh, directed by my boss and mentor Grant Gershon and it was uh, incredible just to see all my colleagues and friends up there performing at really the very highest level in the world I would imagine at this point they I don't think this piece has ever been performed in that way uh, since it was written by DeLasso in I, I think 15 33 or something like that. So it was magnificent. Um, There was a really nice guy uh, waiting for me at the bottom of the escalator after the concert. His name is Anthony. He uh, introduced himself and thanked me for my podcast, which I thought was really touching and and wonderful and really made my day. So thank you, Anthony, for that, if you're listening. And uh, got to hang out with my friends Eric and Hilof quite a bit this weekend. And I don't know. It was pretty great. So that's my little diary. I hope it's not too boring. I'm going to get off now and go see the doctor, and I'll tell you all about it. Anyway, today on the show, I'm really excited. I had a, a, a late-night, last-minute interview uh, with uh, the head juggler, actually, in, in our show at LA Opera right now. We're doing Akhenaten by Philip Glass. Um, it's uh, a really spectacular show. And I've never had to juggle on stage before, frankly. That This uh, guy's name is Sean Gandini. He uh, can be found at gandinijuggling.com, G-A-N-D-I-N-I, juggling.com. And I'd never uh, really talked to a juggler. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, as an opera singer, people come up and say, oh, you, what do you do? And I say, oh, I sing opera. And, oh, I love opera. You know, um, uh, Charlotte Church is one of my favorite singers, and... We watch Phantom of the Opera every year, and you know, and which is fine. I try not to get irritated because you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. It's just some people know about opera, some people don't. I don't know anything about juggling, so I, I kind of preface the interview by saying, you know, opera singers get these typical questions, and 
I don't want you to be offended, um, but how do you make a living as a juggler? And it's probably something he hears a hundred times a day. And he answered it with great aplomb and uh, candor, and he's very charming and uh, a really, really interesting story about uh, how he became a juggler. So it's a short interview. It's it's about 35 minutes. We were He was in the... Uh, he was between rehearsals, and I uh, caught him for a little bit before I had to go to uh, Zitzproba, which for those of you in uh, who are not in the music business or in the opera business, uh, that's the, the last uh, um, rehearsal before you're all in costume and makeup, and it's the introduction of the orchestra, and uh, all the singers in the orchestra get together, and everybody gets their music uh, you know, for the last time, and we sit in chairs on stage on the set, and uh, go through the music together for the first time. It's really exciting. It's something most of us look forward to. Anyway, so this interview was uh, upstairs in uh, in a rehearsal room at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. We did it real quick, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. It's genuinely terrifying. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's terrifying that e even if he's 5% under Hillary, it's terrifying that he's got 4 I mean, it'd be terrifying if he had 10%. Yes. So the fact that he has 40% of voters that think that this human being is... Qualified. And represents their character and I, represents yeah. their wishes and desires. And, yes. Uh, we're really going backwards here. It's terrible, yeah. Yeah. So, I, uh, I, so I'm going to preface this interview by saying, <laughs> as an opera singer, uh, we in this business constantly uh, are asked by the general public in such a way as to, I mean, it can be, it can be really insulting when people say, uh, oh, I, uh, you're an opera singer, I love uh, uh, Charlotte Church, or I love uh, Bocelli, <laughs> yes. even though I, I like Bocelli too. But, yes. um, so please, please, please excuse me. Oh, no, no, no. Excuse oh, my ignorance when it comes to your line of work. Abs yes, of course, I completely um, understand. I mean, uh, opera, we just did a piece with ballet and we, we live in misconceptions, and yes. you, you guys live in a higher misconception, and we guys live in a lower misconception. I don't, well, I don't know about that. Um, oh, well, that's the misconception. Yeah, it right, is right, the right, I understand. Like, yes, when we yes. premiered this E&O, yes. a lot of people loved it, but a few of the really hardcore opera people were like, and guess what they used? Juggling and the word, the way they said juggling, you could it's so sense. so pejorative, yeah. Yeah, but in the same way that maybe people have that same idea that opera is this elitist. I think so. I think that's part of the podcast. I mean, for me, uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily like to use the word demystify, but I, in, a, in a way I do like to demystify because that has its own connotations and the assumption that what I think of opera is highfalutin, which I, I don't. So I don't mean to say that I think it's this great thing and I want to demystify it, but you know, we're all normal people and we all put our pants on one leg at a time. Mm -hmm. And what we do, I think is very interesting actually in many ways. Well, so, it's, a, it's a living art form, and I think maybe that's the misconception. And I know we've encountered it more with ballet because we tour a piece that's for ballet dancers and for jugglers. I see. And a lot of people think that ballet is a museum piece. They don't realize yes. that it's a thriving, vibrant art form. Yes. And I think with juggling, it's probably more complex. They don't realize that there's diversity in it. Yes. And probably the worst case scenario is they imagine it's a jester on the street corner. That's with right. Bells on, on that's his right. feet or her feet. So yeah. that that's that's where I'm coming from. How do you make a living as a juggler? Let's just start there. Because when uh, people when I tell people I'm an opera singer, they say, Oh, do do they pay you to do that? And 
Uh, and it's a legitimate question from well, somebody who doesn't know anything about opera, and I don't know anything about just juggling. Uh, one of the opera singers on the on the first circle yes. said to us, "Do you make a living?" Yes. So, so I'm being flown into Los Angeles yes. to choreograph ten jugglers. Yes. I've come from Taipei via Brussels via Paris, and yet somebody asked me, which in a way, and I, I don't blame them. Yes. It's, it kind of makes sense. Yes. Uh, actually, there, there are fewer competent jugglers than there are classical musicians or dancers or actors. So in a way, if you were to decide I'm going to learn a skill purely in order to earn money, you would be not a bad way juggling to go. is a good way to go. <laughs> it's, ha, like ha, <laughs> it's like the viola. It's like the viola, exactly. But I think that there's different ways that we we have sort of invented our own market or we we do large scale but no for us it's large scale by opera uh, standards it's very small scale but we tour pieces with eight nine jugglers yes. uh, that are one hour long and that involve choreographed juggling of various forms and yes. sometimes one night recently we had 30 jugglers across the globe in three different locations and i thought goodness because i used to do street shows and i thought what an extraordinary journey from doing street shows to this place let's track that I want to track that. Okay, so so tell me how it all started. Where 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 are you from? First so of all? so I'm complicated. I'm of uh, Irish Italian descent, but okay. I grew up in Havana, Cuba. Okay, and actually I had very artistic parents. And in fact, my father loved contemporary classical music and avant-garde jazz. So I grew up listening to Luciano Berio sure. and all of that stuff. So. Were they refugees the, from the war? Or what, no, what, how did they they, end up they, in Cuba? they were socialists in the late sixties, and yes. they were yearning for a different world. Wow! So they and at the time it was really difficult to, to get into Cuba. So we were living in New York for a while when, when I was super tiny, yes. and they went to Canada and took a merchant ship down the side, and then ended up in Cuba. My father is a chemist, so he was looking at something which at the time nobody was doing but now has become very fashionable or rightly so which is the transformation of organic materials into uh, plastics and things so that you don't use the waste uh but this was yeah. gosh 40 was years so ago ahead of, yeah, ahead of his time wow. and my mom was a journalist for radio havana cuba broadcasting illegally into the usa what? in the early 70s oh my god so god i so, wish i had more time to talk to you <laughs> got this, this, yeah. wow but anyway that's my background okay. and then i i as a kid i was into magic tricks and yes. mathematics that mathematics and magic were my things as kids and then i got really into visual arts but i i started doing what probably was quite a bad magic show in Covent Garden, which is where all the street performers work. And wait, 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 wait. So, so you you went to school in Cuba? Yeah, but what was that like living in Cuba as a kid? I, it was an amazing period. Mm -hmm. Partly there was a little bit of a, an intellectual world happening in Havana, yes. in that a lot of the the left wing uh, thinkers of the time. Mm -hmm be they American or European, would mm -hmm. at some point end up in Havana. Sure. And because there was only two or three places where I mean, you Hemingway would gather. Hemingway is a great example. Yeah. Hemingway mm -hmm. is a great example. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of the people that were splintering off the Black Panther movement yeah. or um, there was endless discussions uh, between Maoists and Trotskyists. And I think there were people that, that believed in a better world. Yeah. And I think regretfully, most of the communist examples failed tragically. Well, so sure, avarice and greed take care of that. Yes, yes, regretfully. Mm -hmm. uh, but then Havana, I, I often think of it as tropical communism. So it was, we we were there maybe before the really hard times hit. Yes. And maybe there was still a lot of hope when we were there. It's really the gold, little golden period it of optimism. It was a golden, yes, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Uh, and so my parents left and then we lived briefly in Canada and then they settled in France. I see. And my father still zigzags backwards and forwards to various Latin you, American countries. You both your countries. parents are still Yes, with they us? are. Oh, I'm, my I'm gosh. kind of lucky about Wonderful. that. Um, and then I, I studied linguistics for a while, but I wanted, to, I, I always felt like I wanted to perform. And this was in Cuba or had you already No, I was in, living in France by then via various other countries. And you were studying countries. there. Uh, yeah, studying see. at university. And then I thought, this isn't for me. So I dropped yes. out of university. Mm -hmm. I moved to London and I started doing street shows, doing magic tricks. How did you come to that conclusion? I mean, that, I, that I, I always did magic and I love, ma I still love magic. But, yeah. um, and, and I saw somebody, I could always juggle three or four balls. I can't remember ever learning three balls or four balls. I could always do, do. What did you, first of all, what did your parents think about this decision? Actually, my parents, at that particular time, my parents have always been supportive. There was a tiny moment when I dropped out of university yes. where they kind of went, oh. but you're almost there. Why? And, Why and, not I, and I guess yeah. nobody thinks that you're going to go and earn a living as a magician or as a juggler. Or an opera singer. Or an opera <laughs> singer. I did the same thing. No, it's the same. Yeah, yes. It's the same. Uh, so then I was doing street shows uh, in Covent Garden, mm -hmm. which I did for two or three years. And I used to do, I was the weird guy at Covent Garden because I, I used to have this, these recordings of Chopin. Sure. So I used to put Chopin on and perform choreograph routines to Chopin and all the other street performers go, who is this pretentious guy? What is yeah, yeah. What the hell is he doing? Now, did you, had you and, studied mime as well? No, no. not at all, okay. not at all. So that wasn't so, your, your So bag. it was nice. around, around this time I met my future wife mm -hmm. who had just retired from rhythmic gymnastics her name is Katia Ulahokra and she's here as well and she had moved to London to be an au pair how and did you meet her so she used to come and watch the street shows in Covent Garden yeah and because she used to throw two clubs up all her life she saw our club so one day she came up to me and she said would you mind if I had a go with these clubs because I'm curious to see and yeah. so she picked up two clubs and she kind of did this whizzy tuk, 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 span one, caught it behind the back. And I was like, oh, my God, not only is this woman immensely beautiful, but yeah. she has this tremendous skill. This one, I mean, this one amazing in a million. apparition. Yeah. yeah. So then she would appear every Sunday and then we used to exchange tricks and she started learning our stuff prodigiously quickly now were you by your so were you a solo act or did you have some i used to work or? with some people we used to have an act called the florist okay that has a bit of street performance mythology yeah and we we, we used to do well we actually we used to earn a if i had kept going i would probably still make a good living doing street shows. and you did I mean, well we used to do great I, I mean yeah it was good actually i miss there's something about street performing you go you do a show you leave with a bag of of money yeah and it's very direct that's right i mean obviously like you killed the bear that. you killed the bear every day <laughs> yeah you come home i get it i did it i killed the bear <laughs> you don't have to wait and then, and then obviously you declare some of that money to the tax department and then what's left i'm joking but uh, no, no. <laughs> it's just that no no it's a whole that's incredible um, but the gym that we used to go and practice we were quite obsessional i've always been quite obsessional so we used yeah. to practice six hours a day and yeah. um and there was a bit of a contemporary dance scene at the gym where we trained. What year was this around? Ah, this was 89, 90. Okay. And then there's a very nice man called Scott Clark, who's uh, one of the leading Feldenkrais practitioners now in the world. And, uh, and he, he used to teach these beautiful release-based dance classes. And he used to watch a little bit of juggling and he said... What is this? What is release-based dance? What is that? Um, it, it's something that came off people like Trisha Brown, who's an American choreographer. Okay. Um, it was a, a movement in dance that, that was against the balletic held body. 
and there's um, something called the Judson Church Movement in Contemporary Dance in New York that that uh, inspired this kind of movement that was very articulate and precise, yes. but was about using the body in a very different way. Interesting. And at that particular time where we were practicing at this place called Jubilee Hall in London, there was all these classes going on. Yes. And we kind of got roped in by this nice man called Scott Clark. Huh. And then we met a, an amazing woman called Jill Clark, who mm -hmm. worked with us for about a decade. Mm -hmm. uh, she was an incredible dancer and she choreographed our, our initial pieces. So our but initial, these aren't jugglers, these are all dancers. These are all, so, so our juggling has always been filtered through dance. Oh, I see. Uh, and we, we met with um, a third juggler, who's a person called Mike Day, who now lives in LA in okay. Los Angeles. Okay. And we just met up with him. We only see him every five years, so that's been kind of great. Oh, how nice. Uh, but initially we were a trio and then a quartet with somebody called uh, Ben Ritter mm -hmm. uh, and various other people started mm -hmm. coming in. Um, and it was quite, it was kind of avant-garde juggling. Yes. It, it, it and it was a bit of a shock. In circus, been there was very little of that kind of work. So is it like analogous to Cirque du Soleil in the circus not at, world? Not at all, completely. In, in, Cirque du Soleil... Uh, I mean, as far as the avant-garde nature in the, in the contrast between how people think of a circus tent and Ringling Brothers, is what you're doing in the juggling world analogous to... No, the, 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 what Cirque du Soleil did was the equivalent of a musical. I see. So for example, West Side Story. And, yes. It's it's mm -hmm. they, they they are extraordinary. They they turned it into they reinvented a format. But the format is the same. Mm -hmm. In in a way, Certo Salatios are extraordinary and they're beautiful and crafted, but they are made of acts like traditional circus. Yes. It's act. You watch a trapeze act, you watch a uh, uh, contortionist. contortionist. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and it's structured in the same way with the clowns in the middle, with the crescendos. We we for us, it would be more like, say, what somebody like John Kay. I mean, I'm not comparing uh, us. Sure, it's sure, just sure. an example yeah. of structure. We wanted to take the structure apart. So go, these are just choreographic elements, or these are our notes, yes. and we can put them together however we want. Randomly, if you want. Randomly. Mm -hmm. So we would have things that are random or tricks which wouldn't finish, or sequences that would start and wouldn't stop, or repetition. Yes. And this, we could talk about this later, about the connection with Philip Glass. Yes. Circus never, re I mean, you would never have an acrobat that just does the same move over and over. Yeah. And, and to me, from, right from when I started, I was really intrigued by that, which music and dance has, that thing. Yes. Which like Philip Glass has, and I'm sure when Phil Philip started doing this, let's repeat this 57 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so are you talking about a company that you formed? And yeah, that, so our company is yes, called Gandini Juggling. Let's and talk about that, yeah. So at the, at the beginning it was called Gandini Juggling Project. Okay. Because it was a bit of an experiment. And you were still in London at the point. And we were still, time. and we're still based in London. You are, I see, okay. And the early shows were really controversial. And in what the, way? Well, there's these things called juggling conventions, and we took some of the early things. And actually, our first show had a bit of a John Cage text, which was talked about ambulances going in front of music school so is an ambulance sound more interesting if it's in front of a music school or in, <laughs> and uh, what if I asked too many questions it was a lecture it was those cage yeah. questions yeah, yeah. and so it had a, a, a soundtrack of somebody reading text uh, and it had lots of people walking random city journeys on the stage whilst doing turns with clubs so it was really 
really avant-garde. It was really avant-garde. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, music yeah. was avant-garde. The costumes were minimalist. Concep- conceptually, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Uh, and I think circus has gone on a lot. There is a certain, but there isn't a lot, but there's a certain amount of very contemporary circus mm-hmm. now. And actually, I think we've maybe got more accessible or the world has got more... Accepting. Accepting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's our starting point. And our starting point was filtering juggling through a dance aesthetic. And how did you find more jugglers? Uh, at the beginning, there was a handful. And w- we started at the moment where there was a circus explosion, huh. particularly in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about France earlier. Mm-hmm. So France has something like 400 circus schools. North America probably has 10. Wow. So. There was the beginning of that circuit. One of the, uh, was mentioning Ben Richter mm-hmm. earlier. Oh, by the way, it's Max Richter's brother. Who, You're yeah, kidding. isn't that? Yeah, wow. isn't that? Every, it's funny okay. how everything interconnects. Yeah. So Ben Richter just graduated from what was then called Full Time, that then became Circomedia, which is one of the two major mm-hmm. English circus schools. Mm-hmm. These days, uh, Europe has a network of quite extraordinary circus schools. Uh, I mean, th- this is fascinating because I, you know, I obviously I come from the music world and I know, I, I, re- I just don't know anything about this really. Ah, uh-huh. this, I guess is I'm, I'm constantly because we, we oscillate between these worlds. Yes. I'm really intrigued by comparing and I'm a little bit in awe of the skill that you guys have. And I am jealous of the institutionalization, the fact that you have a hit, for example, you guys have 800 years of musical notation. That's right. We have 20. There's, I mean, there's a paradigm that's been built around our art form that does lend itself to some form of expectation as far as the general public goes. And maybe that's, I mean, maybe that's what you're talking about. Uh, I mean, are you jealous that that, that more people don't know about what you do? Well, I, I'm jealous in on one hand, uh, on the level that we could make work that was from the perspective I'm coming at, which yes. is choreographing things. Yes. There are not as many people that have the level of accomplishment and common vocabulary. Aha, uh-huh, the vernacular, yeah, which sure. Which ballet, sure. for example, I was listening to a talk that William Forsyth was giving the other night, talking about the handing down and the oral tradition. And we are developing and we're going so fast at yes. having that. But That's such a great advantage, though, because you don't have any, you, because you don't have any expectations. I mean, the sky's the limit. But from that point of view, I feel like we're incredibly fortunate yes. in that um, we can, I feel like there's 400 pieces still to make. Yes. Because even if I was doing something as trivial as going, let's make something in that style or in this style, and almost none of it has been done. Yes. Now, as singers, I don't know if you know this, there are some singers, for instance, that are known for singing Mozart repertoire. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. Mm. And getting outside of that and singing early Verity and things like that is very difficult. And it's also, as a singer individually, when I have to audition, I can't sing. The, I, I can sing three arias in a row, and they have to be in different styles with different attacks mm. and different diminuendi and different portamenti. And there's a, you just can't. So that's mm. where I envy you, actually, and that you have the freedom to. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's, there's greener grass on both that's sides right. of sure. the fence. And, and in a way, I guess there's a lot to be learned from what's happening on the other side of the fence. I, I don't n- know how long it would take and whether it would go. Because, for example, the, the notion of a chorus or a choir we have that a little bit in mm-hmm. that we play with a group of jugglers yes. doing 
either unison or counterpoint or choreograph or scored if we were looking at it. Yes. But, but it takes so long. Whereas you, you can give good singers a score and have a sketch of something quite complicated very, very, very quickly. quickly. Yes. That's, that, sure. and that's my jealousy is sure. there. Well, in this town, we do, uh, we do a lot of uh, film and television work. I mean, I had a bunch of colleagues mm. race out of here to do, <laughs> to do a gig. I've got uh, you know, something in the works right now where uh, you show up to the studio and they put the music in front of you and the red light goes on and you do it. Well, in, in our, we are still quite, we, we have um, a juggling notation called uh, Sight Swaps, which is uh, in its embryonic form. It talks about the heights of the objects, when they get thrown, when more or less when they get caught. In shorthand, there's some sort of... Uh, the, the shorthand is super simple. It's just digits in a row. So, so it, in a basic way, it could relate to rhythmical music notation. And... Who's uh, coming up with that? The, the, actually, ironically, three groups in the world came up with this notation simultaneously which meant that the time was right for this thing to be discovered um and the who's codifying it is there somebody that's putting the, a book together or? there's lots of people there isn't there's one or two books but they tend to be quite mathematical we're hoping to produce a book that kind of speaks about it yes well mike day who i was mentioning earlier who was in our first company who moved was part of one of the groups that came up with this notation. Um, and one of the fascinating things is when he came up with it, he taught me a pattern with four balls that's called 534. Okay. 534. And it's essentially, it's a four ball pattern. You throw a five, which is a crossing throw, which goes slightly higher than the four. And you throw a three that's slightly lower than the four. And then you go back into the four. And at the time, it was the most magical pattern. Yeah. And when in what way? I mean, in, in the way that it looks or the way that it feels it, the in The way your hands? it looked, well, both. But, but visually, it was something that maybe Just... one or two people might have stumbled on it accidentally. Huh. But it hadn't been juggled before. And I'm talking, it's mid-80s. It's a thing. That's a thing. That's a thing. So, so we, we've produced a DVD that has 1,200 sight swap patterns. And at the time, most of these things were juggled. Probably nobody had juggled them. So it's a little bit like a periodic table of patterns. But in its basic form, this notation is like telling you to sing, but with no extra information. Yes. So you... Now, you, can you embellish it, or is it very you, strict? You can embellish it. I, I mean, in a way, it's a tool, but I wouldn't say it's as thorough as musical notation. Because, for example, there's a, a trio of jugglers here, West Tony and Patrick, who are yes. working with us. They have a separate group called Water and Mars, and they are, to me, some of the best jugglers working in the world today. They, they have sort of... Where are they from? They, there's two Americans and one Swede, yeah. and they, they live in Stockholm. I see. And the kind of juggling they do even though it has elements of sight swap notation, it also uses systems, different systems to generate what they do. You can notate it with sight swap, but they've arrived at it via different ways and it's really vibrant and exciting. But, but may, maybe the conclusion of it is that what, what juggling has discovered in the last 20 years is systems to so make. Are there, are there juggling troops that are known for particular styles and particular ways of performing? I would say there's not many juggling troops. There's the classic juggling troops. Like we worked with one of the fantastic ones recently. There's a group called the Teslenkos, and they do a traditional six, seven minute act that is, uh, to use an English expression, uh, kick ass. Wow. It's, it's just bam, 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 yeah. bam, bam. They chuck, they fill the space up with things. And 
in our world it would be called old school and i really don't mean that in a derogatory it's, way yeah i understand um sure. It's build, it's crescendo. It's a little bit like one of these symphonies. Yeah. Da, da, bra, sure, bra, sure, bam, sure. Bam, and then somebody catches everything on their head. Right. And it's three brothers and a sister. And actually, we, we threw a bunch of stuff up in the air with them in Holland about two months ago. And it was so much fun. Uh, but so there's those troops, which yes. are the, the traditional troops. And that's... The time the people you'd see on late night TV on the, on the shows. Yeah, yeah. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay. Uh, like the flying we, Karmatsov type. Yeah, yes. well, the flying Ks are, are maybe something slightly different. So they, they are kind of comedy, but choreographed. They were some of the first to choreograph juggling. Yes. And they did a bunch of work on something that we work on as well, which is setting uh, music ex- uh, juggling exactly on music huh. so in fa- I, I i think they might have been the first to do that yeah to really and popularize it to that popularize way. So, mm-hmm. so i think within what we're talking that's a a, a branch which is music connected with classical yes. music yes and maybe that's something and then there are the talking. avant-garde ar- artsy, artsy yeah, and, types. and somewhere yes. in there you meet and then france has got a bunch of the avant-garde jugglers yeah i mean when we come to the states and there's these juggling conventions they kind of go oh you guys do that european art juggling and uh, really that's a thing it, uh, yeah oh, that's that's, that's a thing okay. yeah yeah Oh, yeah. that's funny. Uh, it's kind of... So tell me how you... Uh, I, I would like to talk about Akhenaten a little bit. How did you assemble... Uh, first of all, who was in charge of assembling all of the jugglers for this show? So, so, so it's myself and Katty. So we run, we run Gandini Juggling. Yes. And so Gandini... Uh, so, and I'm, I'm choreographing the material. So in London, it was a different set. There's three people that are the same. But because of contractual things... Sure. Uh, schedules. And, schedules mm-hmm. and union regulations... It's a different team here. And how did you get the, these people assembled? Well, partly we knew most of them, mm-hmm. and then there was one or two that lived here in in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, Are there a lot of jugglers in LA? Th- no, th- there's th- the American juggling scene has virtually no jugglers working in the style that we're working in. Partly there isn't a market for it yet. Yes. Uh, there's people doing amazing juggling in North America the commercial side of juggling in North America tends to be comedy juggling. And where they, where, where would that be based? Uh, so there'd be some people based here, here. Mm-hmm. and there'd be people based all over. In New York, there's quite a few people. I see. But if you want to make a good living in the U.S. at the moment without breaking the rules and inventing your own thing, you... Why, wait, why is that breaking the rules? What do you mean? Oh, oh I, well, oh, you because mean, I, I see, just, I, I'm an optimist. I'm convinced that you can do it in a different way, yes, that you could put together a Broadway musical I, I, juggling. I, and For but some I, reason, I, I thought there was like some rule book that you were no, talking no, about. No, no, no. No, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> is there uh, some kind of juggling police that we have to worry about? <laughs> but but and, and when uh, Felim, the director of the show, yes. Felim McDermott, he sent me a message on Facebook mm-hmm. saying, would you be interested in choreographing uh, some jugglers to Philip Glass's Art Carnarton. And we've worked quite a lot on some of Steve Rice's music. I see. Exactly on it. And I love Odd Tempe. I, like f- I love 5-8 and yeah. all of that. Uh, and then there's a man called Tom Johnson. Mm-hmm. And Tom Johnson is an American composer who lives in Paris who's of the same generation as Reich and Glass. And he's sort of the minimalist that got a little bit, didn't get the big... Uh, Press, or, press yeah. and public mm-hmm. recognition, mm-hmm. and he stayed hardcore to this. Repeat it seventy-eight times. Don't give in. Yes. And and Tom wrote some pieces specially for us. So there's a piece called Three Notes for Three Jugglers that 
we performed at the Steim in Amsterdam at the Center for Experimental Music. And it literally is three balls that are tuned to three sounds, to, to three notes. And it just goes do, 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 do. And then we use very simple sight swaps to change the order. So sure. for the first four minutes, it's just three people with three notes and we just change. So instead of do, 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 we go do, do, do. Yeah, um, you would sure, sing it sure, better sure. than me. But, sure, I understand. Um, uh, how and exciting. we kept improvising the shift and Tom would go longer. So in, a, in the same way that Fellam in rehearsals go slower, yeah. Tom would go longer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, so bizarrely, we, we have a background of setting, juggling to what's commonly known as minimalist music. Now, when Fellam got in touch with you, had he already fully conceptualized the use of the jugglers in, in the... No. Yeah, so you guys must have collaborated in how that was going to go. Yes. What was I that process like? Actually, it was a good process with, with some ups and downs, but the ups and downs always feel like a richly creative moment. Yes. But I think inevitably, I'm used to running our own company. So I'm used to making things yes. and making fine. So, so I think we needed a healthy adjustment time to realize that what we How were making, yeah. yes, mm -hmm. which is opera is all about this collaboration. Mm -hmm. And you guys are so good at it. It's knowing how what what you're making is an element of the bigger puzzle. Right. When Felim first when to hold and when to give. When yes. to hold. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm used to putting juggling. I mean, the opera's got a tremendous amount of juggling. Yes. But I'm used to stuff having juggling throughout. Yes. So when I see it on stage, to me, it's so beautiful when the juggling leaves. Like, for example. It's the silence in music. Yeah. The silence yeah. in music. Yeah. Sure. It's the yeah. same thing for us. <laughs> yeah, it's true, isn't it? I mean, I, yeah. I've got to say this. We are so excited about this show. I mean, every <laughs> singer that I've, all of us, I mean, it's, there's nothing, obviously there's nothing wrong with romantic Italian repertoire, Puccini and Verdi. And, you know, I mean, we love it. it, it there's nothing that we really don't love about it, but we don't get to do this kind of music, first of all, very often. And then to throw in juggling uh. and to be a part of that. As well, I mean, in a very rudimentary way. In no, what you comparison. guys are doing is so exciting. Uh, so I, 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 and I wish I would love the the possibility of having six months with a uh, <gasps> with a chorus and just the stuff you could do. Sure. There, there's an American choreographer called uh, Charles Moulton, mm -hmm. who made some pieces from the 70s onwards uh, that are called ball passing pieces, and they are people assembled on three layers, the way you could imagine a chorus, uh -huh. and uh, and they pass balls up and down and i imagine singing with uh, with that but um yeah yeah yeah, yeah at time but uh, but we are super excited as well what's bizarre for us is we we did a, a smetana the bartered bride once yes. but opera tends to use circus or juggling as a kind of an image in one scene and then it's gone mm -hmm. and so the only opera we've ever done that, that involves juggling throughout is this so this is what we think opera is oh that's funny I mean, obviously, we go and see yeah, see course. opera, but um, sure. so for us, it it isn't something different because it's the only thing we know. In, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, you said that you're based in France now. Is that we're based in London? In London, London. I'm very sorry. No, no, yeah, London. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and do you have a set amount of people that you work with in London that that are like part of the company? Yes, yes. We we. I would say there's uh, five or six uh, jugglers that earn their their living full time from us, and everybody else is freelance yes and but there's a lot of people that maybe earn 75 percent of their wages from us but we tend to hire people on a freelance basis and we have a couple of shows that tour quite a lot yes. across the that globe that was my next question yeah so so you've put you put set shows set show pieces together yeah 
And, well, the, and they travel. Yeah. Aha. But we, we made one piece. There's a, there's a German choreographer called Pina Bausch. Mm -hmm. uh, and when she died, we were commissioned to make a piece, whatever we wanted, with nine jugglers. And we made a piece juggling apples. It was 100 apples. Mm -hmm. uh, in this, in a, in, we imagined how Pina Bausch would have made a juggling piece. And the piece starts very nicely juggling apples and it builds to a crescendo. It's quite apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. And it's called Smashed. And we made this piece. And over the period of about a year, we just started getting more and more global, but on a scale that we'd never experienced. What do you attribute that to? What do you think? I, I don't know. The, 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 the piece... I mean, was it just a, a timing? Does it just a timing Timing. It, it talks a little bit about uh, um, the relationships between the sexes. It has a bit of power play. It's elements that are in the Pina Bausch's work. Mm -hmm. The relationship between men and women it talks a little bit about some sexualities which might be considered the perverse sexualities mm -hmm. um so there's sex i guess mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, people yeah, are yeah. interested in sex you're kidding <laughs> <laughs> i guess people haven't seen things like that dealt with with juggling sure this the breaking the end is we just go you nuts smash. we smash a bunch of stuff and there's something really cathartic yeah, about visceral. it visceral visceral and so we've done the show 500 times across the globe and um we're doing a special version in January in London with 17 performers. And, uh, and actually, one of the singers who did Akhenaten in London, mm -hmm. uh, a beautiful woman called Emma, mm -hmm. is going to sing the final aria of the, of the piece, um, which is a, a Vivaldi, but it sounds like a Handel or something. Oh, beautiful. And live, pregnant, she's super pregnant. So it's going to be hopefully very beautiful. And, yeah. and that's what's uh, next. That's what's coming up. Uh, well, what else do you have? Gosh, we, we also we tour a piece called 4x4 mm -hmm. Ephemeral Architectures. Mm -hmm. And the Ephemeral Architectures relates to the fact that uh, it's a piece that combines ballet and juggling. It has eight performers. And sometimes a string quintet. We commissioned the string quintet. So so that's kind of nice. Uh, and when, when the venues can afford it, it has the live string quintet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's about how, well, actually music as well, but music less. But juggling and ballet trace pathways which vanish straight away. No, music is the same. Of course. You it hear evaporates. the sounds and they're gone. That's it. And that's, guess, a, that's the beauty of music for me. Yes, I, mean, I can. Really yeah, it's ephemeral. It's the, yes. the ephemeralness. Yes, yeah. I totally agree. I, I'm sorry to jump around, but I, I do want to go back to Akhenaten. Yeah. I had some other questions for you. What I think I know what the juggling means in certain parts of the show. Did you. Uh, what is your take on. on is, for me, the juggling is the state of affairs within that part of Egypt at the time. It's a state of affairs emotionally for the characters. It's, uh, is that, am I reading I, that correctly? What you say, I think is exactly what it's ended up being. I, How did what, it start? Well, what, what I like about theater and obviously opera is that sometimes what things become on stage are beyond anybody's control. Yes. Things take on a life of they're, their they're own. They're born. Yeah, they're, they're, they're yes, born. I agree. So, so my initial thought was a choreographic thought. I, I, I was just interested in the music and, the and structurally. That was before I'd gone into the studio. Then uh, I, I mentioned to Fallon that the early hieroglyphics, and this was, a, I think, a catalyst moment, the, the first known uh, mention, mention mm -hmm. of juggling is in these Egyptian hieroglyphics in yes. uh, the tombs of Bin Hassan, which is actually 300 years after Akhenaten, but one could imagine that there was sure. juggling in there. Sure, sure. And it's just women, which I also really like. Oh, and that's it's three, three women in a very particular position, which in fact, no juggler would have ever used. 
But we use those positions, the opening funeral, yes. the positions that we go to is us imagining how these women would have juggled. So it's an in invented Egyptian juggling. Sure. Um, and I think what you say is exactly right. I think sometimes the balls are maybe the musical notes. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we are talking about the score mm -hmm. when we get it right and mm -hmm. we're on the beat. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's that. Mm -hmm. um, a visual representation of what you're hearing, yeah. Exactly mm -hmm. that. Then I think sometimes, for example, there's a scene at the end, well, I shouldn't give it away, but where the balls drop. Yes. And I think that it's is quite the, obvious, yeah. the, the breaking of, of that empire, of that the collapse of that mo brief period of monotheism. Yes. Yes. Um, the um, I'm trying to think. Then, then there's some obvious, which is more classic operatic. I feel like the club routine is is the only bit that you could argue is a gratuitous uh, moment. But but uh, but because but I the, think it's, because it, it the, the it illustrates of the weaponry. Yes, I yes, see. that's right, mm -hmm. that's right. Mm -hmm. And I, in fact, that's something that we wouldn't. Did wouldn't, you struggle with that at all uh, artistically? No, no, because I trust Felim and I trust Felim's vision. Yeah, um, this is one of those moments where the collaboration really kicks it, in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 and in a way, a collaboration is interesting if it takes you to somewhere where you wouldn't have gone. That's right. If not, you're just making your own stuff with somebody else. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I, uh, well, I, I'm just blown away by the, the visual elements of the juggling, the, the dramatic parts, and that you know, the, and I'm really glad to hear you say. Um, to outline this idea of, of the, the art, artistic uh, embryo that's kind of born on stage. That's mm. one of my favorite parts as a musician <laughs> in exploring a new role, for instance, where you, you, you learn the words, you learn the, the rhythms, you understand the story, you know what you're talking about, but the character itself really isn't revealed to you until, and, yes. until you interact with your colleagues and until you're in the space and suddenly that's always my favorite day when it's i used to true, sing more true. principal yeah, music yeah. as a principal singer that day was always very clear to me when i mm, i'd go to the director and i'd say i think this is who this person is and yet How you do don't know this? who who pushes sometimes that can just happen through some some process that you don't i mean i'm not a mystical person but it, it, it is an almost magical moment it's where magic. you go how did that happen it why is. and people ask from the outside oh why is this like this? Or uh, we went to, the other day to the Blade Runner building, yeah. uh, the Bradbury, is that yeah, what it's called? That's right. And and I remember reading somewhere that Rutger Hauer had improvised that that sentence, which to many people encapsulates Blade Runner. I have seen things you people wouldn't believe. Yes. Attack ships on fire and all of that, and that that wasn't scripted. Yeah. And who knows? Like, yeah, did did the right. director somehow push him to do that? Did it come from him or? Well, I, I remember a character being born because I was wearing shoes that that were given <laughs> to me that were so uncomfortable, and it made me a, a walk in a certain way. Yes. And it just happened. I thought, oh, this is this is actually the character. This is mm. who this person is. It's great. They're those happy accidents. You mustn't miss you. You're singing in a minute, aren't you? Uh, oh, you're good. You have 25 minutes. Okay. Yeah. What time do you need to be down there? I think we should probably we should. wrap it up. Cool. I, I've got to say, this has been really uh, a very interesting interview. And thank you for I, me I, as well. We could chat more, but uh, I time, totally agree. Yeah. Well, Good. thank you so much, Sean. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that was Sean Gandini. What an interesting, nice guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. I was so excited about my interview after uh, after we did it last night. I was telling everybody on stage before the Zitz probe started. Uh, I, you know, it could have been twice as long. I'm really bum that it was so short because he he has so many great stories and uh so anyway thank you sean for being on my show 
Uh, I want to thank you all for listening, too. If you enjoyed this episode, why don't you send me a dollar? That's all I ask. If you go to my webpage and hit donate, it takes about 10 seconds. It really helps out uh, for all the production costs here. I want to thank Gregory Geiger for my theme song. He put all the uh, instruments together and made it real jazzy. So thanks, buddy. I'm loving it. Go to laclassical.com and check him out. I want to thank Michael Nielsen, uh, who works at Ninja Tracks with my dear friend Kaveh Cohen. They've got the biggest uh, film trailer music business in town, in the world, actually, I think. Anyway, he's letting me borrow his awesome Shure SM7B microphone, and I really appreciate it. Why don't you go to michaelnielsenmusic.com and check out his fantastic work. He also has a lot of really uh, fun and funny and interesting uh, guitar videos on YouTube. He's a He's a an outstanding uh, session guitarist. I mean, he's an amazing guitar player, and he's got the series of uh, reviews. He reviews pedals. He collects pedals, vintage pedals and whatnot, and, and really cool, interesting guitars, new and old. And he's just an all-around great guy. So make sure to visit his website. And uh, I guess that's about it. I'll uh, see you next week. I hope you guys have a great week, and... Uh, I'll see you on Monday. Until then. You probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get onto my show.